The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmitz, and with me is a guy who's known to put his spacesuit on backwards when he's in a hurry. My co-host... Hey everybody, it's Nico, and with me today is a special guest, Daisy, my little dog, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, due to the holiday hiatus still sort of being in effect, we're going to be bringing you a shortened episode where we review our favorite funniest moments of Modern Family, along with discussions on Chuck and Supernatural, and as a special treat, we're also going to be reviewing the highly anticipated and hugely successful Doctor Who Christmas special. But before we get into all of that, we're going to have our traditional favorite section, Nico's Movie and TV News. When we last saw Fox's sci-fi series, Fringe, Nina Sharp was leading a group of cronies who knocked out Olivia and pumped her full of some colorful liquid. Cliffhangery as that is... It's not what Fringe's producers had in mind as it prepared to hibernate for the holidays. But the wait is almost over, and we will be rewarded with back-to-back punches in the form of what was intended to be the winter finale, and then the mid-season return, January 13th and then January 20th, respectively. As if you needed more reason to get pumped for the series' return, the crafty promo makers at Fox have unleashed another doozy. So go check it out on our Facebook page, or if you can't get there, go to Fox.com to see it. And I'm kind of smiling about that because I knew, I said on the podcast, that that just wasn't enough oomph for a mid-season finale. Absolutely, you were right on. And now for some Superman rumor news. Superman, the Man of Steel, may already have its rogues gallery set to headline with Michael Shannon as General Zod. However, the latest rumor is that the summer 2013 film may also have Soup's other signature villain, Lex Luthor, played by the star of the Hangover films, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, that's right. Bradley Cooper may be playing Lex Luthor. According to Comic Book News, a tip informed them that after Cooper's role in the upcoming adaptation of Milton's Paradise Lost fell through, the actor was recruited to make what will simply be a cameo in the upcoming Superman reboot as the iconic industrialist who emphasizes the mega and megalomaniac. Nice. So probably yes. what's going to happen there is if they have a sequel, which we're hoping for, Lex Luthor will probably be set up at the end. That's exactly my thoughts. That works. Can't imagine Bradley Cooper with a shaved head. I yeah, think. that's crazy. Are they going to go that way, or are they going to make it look like a toupee? Like Got his it. hair look like a toupee? I don't know. I, I think he could play the Lex Luthor that our generation is used to, you know, similar to Rosenbaum. Yeah. We got with Smallville. I, I don't know. 
But um, it's interesting, and I've always said, you can't tell a Superman story, especially an origin one, without Lex Luthor being in it in some capacity. Exactly. I'm glad to hear he's a part of it, at least for a little part of the movie. Yeah. Once again, this is unconfirmed rumors, but still, we're excited. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. You need a Lex Luthor in a Superman story, in my opinion. Also, we've posted a link to TV.com's Serious Guide to Post-Hiatus TV Schedules. If you're unsure of when a new show is premiering, what new shows are happening and where, or you just want to know when your favorite shows are returning, head on over to our Facebook page and seek out the TV.com Serious Guide to Post-Hiatus TV Schedule, this behemoth of TV glory. The guys at TV.com did a great job, and that's why I'm giving them a lot of credit here because this thing is a behemoth. It, it took a lot of work, and they went and they put each day, each time slot, and what's st- starting when, what channels, and everything like that. It's really a great guide, and all the props to them. Yeah, great work, you guys, and thanks for all the information you provide because without it, I don't know where this podcast would be, so... Thanks a lot. I know we don't talk personally, but TV.com, you are a lifesaver for us here at ATA. Enrique Colatoni and Flashpoint have been renewed for a fifth season. Check out Person of Interest's New Big Bad in this great Canadian series on ION in the U.S. and CTV in Canada. Good stuff. Great show. A lot of great actors on there as well. I love the show. Now, Sybil Shepard and Jennifer Love Hewitt are to star together in a new Lifetime series entitled The Client List. Based on the network's 2010 original movie, the Sony TV-produced series stars Jennifer Love Hewitt as Riley, a Texas housewife who, after being deserted by her husband, ends up running a massage parlor called The Rub, which offers more than back rubs. Shepard will play Riley's mother, Lynette, reprising her role from the movie, where the character was named Cassie. This marks Shepard's first series regular role since her 1995 sitcom, Sybil. I've had a longtime crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt and will watch at least one episode of this show, but I'm not promising I'll watch much more. Ghost Whisperer was my series I unnecessarily watched because she was in it. And I don't think I have it in me to do it again. Ghost Whisperer is a little more up your alley. Yeah, <laughs> the sci-fi aspect. Yeah. And, yeah, this is just a drama about a woman running a sex slash massage bar. Or, <laughs> I, I don't know. It could be good. It could. I, I'm just not all that excited about it. <laughs> if you like Jennifer Love Hewitt, just watch the show on mute. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Finally, Star Trek has cast the guy with the best name in acting, Benedict Cumberbatch, as an unnamed villain, and cast Noel Clark, who played Mickey from the Doctor Who series, who will be joining the cast as well. Mickey's character will reportedly be depicted as a family man with a wife and young daughter. The more I hear about this movie, the more excited I get. I can't wait, so hurry up and make it already, Mr. Abrams. They got a Doctor Who actor in Star Trek. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's the news with Nico for this week. Great stuff. And speaking of Doctor Who and sci-fi epic series, we're going to talk about Doctor Who now. I'm very pumped up to talk about this. 
It was a great experience. It was just fun to watch. And again, it's going to hold me over until new episodes come our way. Hopefully in the spring. We'll see about that. So we're going to talk about the Doctor Who Christmas special. The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. It's Christmas Eve, 1938, when Madge Arwell comes to the aid of an injured spaceman, Angel, as she cycles home. He promises to repay her kindness. All she has to do is make a wish. Three years later, a devastated Madge escapes war-torn London with her two children for a dilapidated house in Dorset. She is crippled with grief at the news of her husband has been lost over the channel, but determined to give Lillian Cyril the best Christmas ever. The Arwills are surprised to be greeted by a madcap caretaker whose mysterious Christmas gift leads them into a magical, wintry world. Here, Madge will learn how to be braver than she ever thought possible. And that wishes can come true. Yeah, real quick, sorry to stick you with that mouthful of a summary there, Nico. But this episode, I don't think, has yet been released in America or shown on BBC America because... I have my DVR set to record Doctor Who. It did not record this special. I ended up watching it on BBC.com. Didn't mm-hmm. do anything illegal with <laughs> this. But uh, there was no information about it on TV.com. So this summary came from the BBC website. So again, if you haven't watched this Christmas special, this isn't the one from last year. This is a brand new Christmas special. That if you haven't watched it, go to BBC.com and watch it there because I don't want to spoil anything for you. So I just want to put that disclaimer out for you guys, and I'm going to take it away with the review now. It's hard to wield lightning in a bottle, but together with writer Stephen Moffat's limitless imagination and Matt Smith's boundless energy in his portrayal of the Doctor, they've done just that throughout their entire run on Doctor Who, which includes this Christmas special, loosely based on C.S. Lewis's the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and probably what's to come for Series 7. Now, before we get into how this Christmas special is loosely based on a book out of the Chronicles of Narnia series, I have to first comment on how awesome it was to see the Doctor begin 2012 as epically as he ended 2011, with this unbelievable sequence of the Doctor escaping an exploding battleship, followed up by a series of fun scenes where a kind woman named Madge discovers the Doctor accidentally dressed backwards in a spacesuit, and Madge helps the Doctor get back to the TARDIS, only to discover that it's not the TARDIS. Luckily, in the end, this confusion works out, and we jump three years into the future, which is where the similarities between this Christmas special and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe begins. However, with the use of the words similarity, I don't want you to think that this episode was an exact adaptation of the classic C.S. Lewis novel, because that would be underestimating the genius of Stephen Moffat. Instead, what we got was Moffat using concepts from the book, such as children escaping the horrors of World War II, a doorway into a, a wintry world, and the doctor describing the TARDIS as a wardrobe to help his companions of the episode better understand his universe, to tell a story that in its heart was about the Doctor 
helping a mother give her kids one last Christmas before discovering the news that their father was killed fighting as a pilot in the war. Obviously, there isn't a mother character in C.S. Lewis's story, but this deviation from the book was necessary to address the themes that we expect from a Doctor Who episode, revolving around sacrifice, heroism, and the overall triumph of the human spirit, which are difficult to address in a story just between the Doctor and children. Although, on that note, I do have to say, it was good to see the majority of this special focus on the Doctor and Madge's children, because the scene where the Doctor shows off the house that they are staying in, complete with a lemonade faucet in the kitchen, and a room so filled with toys there wasn't any space for beds, just hammocks, was made a lot of fun by Matt Smith, to the point that it brought back fond memories for me of when the Doctor first met Amy Pott. Also, I appreciate the interaction between the Doctor and Madge's daughter Lily, because it was kind of different for us who have started watching Doctor Who since the start of the 2005 reboot to see the Doctor have a companion that was younger than, let's say, Rose or Amy. That might be something the writers could explore for a little while after the Doctor supposedly parts ways with the pods in this next series or the series after that. Speaking of doing something different, normally when it comes to death on Doctor Who, it's for the most part final, with the Doctor or a supporting character having to accept it and find the strength to move on. But since this was Christmas, Stephen Moffat gave us the gift of a good old-fashioned miracle. As the final outcome of this adventure ended with Madge's husband still being alive, leaving the Doctor with something he loves. Humans having the strength to still endure, even when all hope appears to be lost. And if that didn't leave you smiling from ear to ear, like the Doctor on this particular Christmas morning, they'd probably see Amy and Rory at the end of this special did. Especially for me, when I got the satisfaction of Amy saying that she had a place set for the Doctor. Because she and Rory couldn't simply believe that he died at the hand of the silence. Unfortunately, when the Doctor shed a tear at this notion, I was left feeling incredibly sorry for him because of this rumor floating around that the Doctor is going to part ways with the pods, and it's going to end tragically. So darn you, Nico, for telling me that news story. Anyway, to make up for my recent playful jab, though I'm not angry at Nico, I'm just going to pass things on to him with his thoughts on this excellent Doctor Who Christmas special that left me smiling. As is usual for this amazing show, the Christmas special was, in a word, amazing. And one of the most fun episodes of the year. I anticipate great things for this upcoming year, 2012, because the Christmas special was so great. Not only did we get a Doctor Who telling of C.S. Lewis's Narnia classic that rivaled the Christmas Carol episode from last year, but we got a heartwarming ending that could really lift our spirits as the year ended and give us hope for a better year next year and some great Doctor Who to keep us going in the new year. Definitely. The ending of the episode was brilliant as well. It's only the second time I can remember when the mission was over that the Doctor stuck around for Christmas dinner with his companions. Back in Tennant's time, he stayed in London after defeating the Cyber King and helped the guy who had been imprinted to think he was the Doctor. 
And this time, when he showed up at the Pond's house for Christmas dinner, only to find that they always set a place for him, just in case he shows up for Christmas dinner. This was a touching moment for the Doctor, and may be the start of the writers setting up that heartbreaking end of the Pond story arc we've been told to expect. In reality, this has been a long way of coming around to say I was very happy with this episode. And many people in my family who are not watching Doctor Who watched this episode with me, and they all wanted to watch all the other Christmas specials after that. So we had a very Doctor Who Christmas and watched about three of the other specials. It was great times, and I, I, I just remember the Christmas specials are the ones that really remind you why you love this show. Exactly. And this one was no ex- no exception. Very well done. Matt Smith, as usual, carries the story with just his exuberance and his love of being the Doctor. I love and that really comes. Oh yeah, that really yeah. comes out in this episode, especially. He falls from sky and puts on a spacesuit and crashes to the ground. And we're like, okay, that's just the doctor. And then he stands up and it's on backwards. And we're like, yeah, that is the doctor. <laughs> and especially Matt Smith's doctor. He's always zany and crazy like yeah. that. And it was just great. You're absolutely right. When he's walking through the, the house with his with the kids and just showing them all the things and they're like where are the beds well you had to leave something out (laughs) you know and the lemonade oh that that one got me that one really got me it just made me smile and be like yes but yeah this was a great episode i loved it and as soon as i saw him open up the present slightly and go through i was like yes (laughs) they really are doing (laughs) <laughs> a Narnia. Yes. And and that was that was a lot of fun. Yes, a loosely based Narnia. Oh yeah, great. I mean, so was the Christmas Carol. Yeah, the Christmas exactly. Carol when they did it, it was Doctor Who style. That they always the main themes of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe were there, minus the Aslan character. Exactly. Uh, they don't usually bring in the god aspect aspect because they don't want to talk too much about this guy who has been there the entire time and god they don't want to confuse the issue and they don't want to step on any religion's toes so they kind of go the other way and just don't talk about god at all which is okay i mean as a sci-fi story that that's perfectly acceptable within the, the genre and so like Everything but the Christ aspect is brought to this story, and it was great. It's just told in a Doctor Who style with aliens and other worlds and (laughs) time travel, you know, just great. Generic stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Matt Smith being goofy as the Doctor, which is always a favorite thing of, of mine. I just, I love it. He just cracks me up. He really does. Yeah. Now, who was your favorite character other than the Doctor, in this episode. Did you have one? I liked the interaction between the Doctor and the daughter, Lily. Yes. daughter. That went over yeah. really well for me. I think Madge was a great character, yes. though. This mom who has just found out that the man she loves, her husband and father of her children, has been lost in the war, flying home yeah. over the channel. 
And she's just so grief stricken with that. But at the same time, trying to be the strong parent that hides it from the kids so that they can have one last Christmas before everything is ruined. And yeah. that just was so well done. So well done. That yes. you, your heart just broke for her. And then it just melted at the end when she got that wish. She got yeah, her wish. That he's alive. Yeah, it was. That he's alive. Oh. And she was the one that led him home. That was amazing. Well, and it kind of goes back to the whole the North Star with Christmas. Mm-hmm. The whole thing with the light and him needing something to guide him. I mean, that hit Christmas head on. The concept of Christmas. Exactly. It was just beautiful. It really was. The whole thing. I mean, it was a great payoff. The whole ride was a lot of fun. And it seemed really quick in a good way. Yeah. It didn't slow down. It was over and you were left wanting more. And that's the goal with these Doctor Who Christmas specials. Is It's a bridge between seasons. So exactly. they're giving you just enough of a taste for you to want to come back. And with it being such a long period of time between the series, it's a great idea to have these bridge specials. Well, you don't have to convince me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, I'm going to come back anyway, but it just no, I understand raises what you're the bar even higher. Oh, absolutely. It hypes it even more. And they just, Stephen Moffat does a great job of writing and setting everything up to make us very excited about this show. And it's probably one of the best done television shows in the world. And I know that's a ballsy statement, but <laughs> it is. You won't get any argument out of me. It's very satisfying, and it really it has something for everybody. And I think you hit that on the head by saying, yeah, I watched that Christmas special. And people who weren't even into Doctor Who wanted to watch the other specials. I mean, they just do a great job of wanting to suck you right into this world. And you look at it, you go, okay, this is kind of weird. But it's just weird enough that it sparks your interest and your curiosity. And they did an excellent job with that here. And this was curiosity times a thousand. I mean, you had these kids that were curious about what's going on. And we were right there with them, curious about what was going to happen too. So here's to you, Stephen Moffat. Great way to cap off our Christmas. So is there anything else you had there, Nico? I know Doctor Who's your baby here, so. I think we uh, we hit all the high points, and it was just, oh, such a great episode. Yep, and here's to us having more discussions when Series 7 comes out on ATA. And we don't have a release date yet, but when we have one, we'll give it to you. So with that, we're going to move on to another thing that makes you happy. I don't know if it makes you feel good, but it makes you laugh at least. And that's the show Modern Family with the episode Lifetime Supply. Phil awaits his impending doom after his doctor's appointment coincides with the end of his lifetime supply of razor blades, while Jay and Javier butt heads at the racetrack with Manny. Additionally, Gloria tutors Haley in Spanish, Walt plays video games with Luke, and after Mitchell receives an award from his company, he and Cam engage in a trophy war. And just so you guys, just in case you forgot, because it has been a while since we've covered the sitcoms, we normally just give our favorite comedic moments from these shows. 
So I'm going to take away with my modern family memory for this week, which would have to be all things Cam in this episode, including the rivalry with Mitchell over the trophies that they both won, and Cam having a crush on Manny's father, Javier, which was made hilarious by the eyes that he kept giving him. And honestly, the expressions that Eric Stone Street, who plays Cam, had in this final scene, where Mitchell kept trying to get him to look away from Manny's father, was absolutely priceless. So with that, I'm going to hand things over to you, Nico, with your modern family memory. I loved Phil, as usual. He was great in this episode and kept going back and forth between thinking he was dying and thinking that he was fine and how he kept spending time just watching his kids. And every time someone would ask what he was doing, he'd increase the likelihood that he was dying. First, it was like a 40% chance. Then it was a 50, 60, 70%. It was great. And also the Manny J and uh, Manny's dad, Javier, those scenes were pretty good as well. But Phil... Oh, he was better. I loved how uh, Gloria's dream connected to what was going on with Phil. The Black Rat! The Black Rat. <laughs> outstanding, outstanding. Phil was my, my second place one. I figured you were going to cover Phil, so I loved yes. that for you. But oh, all around, a great episode. Great comeback for Modern Family. So with that, we're going to move on to a show that also makes us laugh. And it may make us cry in a couple weeks because after this one, there's only three episodes to go. Then they were done. And I don't know what my world's going to be like without it. But anyway, for now, we're going to be in the present. And we're going to talk about the Chuck episode. Chuck versus the Kept Man. Chuck and Sarah mull over the next phase of Carmichael Industries. Meanwhile, Casey gets more deeply involved with his forbidden romance with Gertrude Verbansky, who offers a shadowy assignment in South Beach. And an intellectually elevated Jeff scrutinizes oddball happenings at the Bymore. This week's Chuck left me on the fence because I liked the episode from the aspect that it might be our last chance to have some fun and see a regular day in the life of Chuck Bartowski before we delve into what the show's final Big Bad has classified as the final chapter. However, at the same time, I'm questioning if it was the best idea to have one last fun episode here instead of three weeks ago, because it may have thrown off the momentum for the show created by Shaw's return. Also, I was kind of left scratching my head in regards to the big revelation that occurred at the end of this episode. Anyway, in terms of specific things I enjoyed about this episode, the fact that it focused on Casey made me happy. Because on top of the fact that he's just played awesome, Adam Baldwin's presence as John Casey has brought a lot to the show. And the man deserved one last big final bow. Even though I think he will have a huge moment in the finale. Plus, this romance between Casey and Verbansky has been one of my favorite parts of this season, and I'm glad we got to see it come to a satisfying conclusion. Continuing along with the theme of supporting characters getting one last big final bow, Jeff and Lester really stole the show for me in this episode, with them trying to prove that Chuck and Sarah were spies. Honestly, everything that went on in this episode, with Jester trying to prove their theory correct from Jeff's bulletin board 
that somehow referenced plot lines he wasn't even involved in, to Morgan trying to use Awesome to send them off the trail, and Lester dressing up as a woman, can be cracking up laughing, all the way up until they broke through the wall that was acting as the facade of Awesome's fake workout room to discover Castle, otherwise known as the headquarters of Carmichael Industries. And that's where we got to the problems that I had with this episode. Because now it appears that Jeff and Lester know Chuck is a spy, which is something that might not be the best idea on the writer's part, or may have happened too early. Again, Jeff and Lester finding out Chuck's secret might be for the purpose of giving us that big final gesture performance that we're hoping for, but I didn't think the cat would come out of the bag for them on the dual lives of Chuck Bartowski until the very last possible moment of the finale. And even then, just as Lester started to believe that Chuck was a spy, something would happen to cause Lester's ego to overlook the idea. As for another timing issue, I'm concerned about the final big bad for this series still not being introduced. In my opinion, I feel like if you're going to bring in an end-all, be-all villain for the main protagonist of a TV series, they need a full season to be developed. And honestly, for this bad guy to work, the writers need to make us have the same disdain for this character as we have for Shaw. And pull it off in a hurry, because we only have four episodes to go. Currently, by planting the seeds of the possibility that Sarah is pregnant, gives the big bad an opportunity to put Chuck's chances of having a family of his own at risk. But I think we're going to need a little more oomph to really make us hate this guy. Probably the best way to do this is follow the same course of action that the USA show Burn Notice took in its most recent season. And again, Burn Notice is a show that's similar to Chuck, so that's why I'm using this as an example. And basically, on Burn Notice, they had this big bad named Anson. And this was basically a character that wasn't introduced until midway through the fifth season, with pretty much five episodes to go, like Chuck. And what made him the ultimate nemesis to the main character, a spy like Chuck, named Michael Weston, was Anson having a connection to something that haunted Michael, which was his abusive father. So in other words, for this ultimate bad guy on Chuck that's going to be in the finale to work, he needs to have a connection to what haunts Chuck, which is the death of his father. And he also needs to kind of have a connection to what haunts Sarah, which is her killing Shaw's wife. But the problem with this is all of the theories that Michael and I came up with to make those connections were completely far-fetched or revolved around Shaw coming back, which is something at this point seems to be unlikely, unless they're going to surprise us, but it doesn't seem that way right now. So with that, here's to hoping that you, Nico, can shed some lights on the Chuck's writer's final course of action for this series, because I'm a little nervous about the Chuck series finale being a success due to the final villain coming in so late. You're not wrong, Dan. But for this episode, I loved it. Was the timing of it unusual? Maybe. Being that we're expecting each week to be leading us up to the finale, 
But at the same time, I think it was smart to have this fun episode now where they could play around with some ideas for maybe the final time, as you mentioned, without ruining the final run-up to the series finale in just a few weeks. The way they dealt with the possibility that Sarah was pregnant put the idea in those of our heads that were not already thinking that, as you and I discussed last week and the week before, about how we w- we think this is the technique they're going to use to wrap up Chuck and Sarah's story arc. But I thought it was almost telling people what they already should be thinking, but that's just you know the writers making sure it's in everybody's head. I also liked the story that they did with Casey this week and how they had him at the end talk to Alex about meeting his quote-unquote girlfriend. And I like that they have decided to go that way with Casey. Yes. Because you and I talked last week that there was still the possibility that maybe he could get back with his ex, though we didn't really think it was possible. I like that they've kind of put their line in the sand and said this is the way we're going. There was so a that, time. Yeah, th- that was great. I liked it. Now, as for the Jeffster story arc this week, I absolutely loved it up until the very last scene yeah. where they found Castle and Morgan had to shoot them with the Trank darts. I hope this gambit works out for Jeff and Lester's story arcs because I thought it would have been best if they had left it with them not figuring it out or yeah. being convinced with the awesome ruse. But the fact that they, that a not mentally handicapped Jeff was smart enough to piece it all together was hilarious. And Lester in drag made me smile. But at the same time, I, I do feel that it's going to cause problems in the next three episodes. Yeah. And that is concerning. Do I think they've screwed the pooch? No, absolutely not. Do I think they have a plan? Absolutely. Yeah. What is that plan? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where we are. You, you know, you and Michael were coming up with theories, and I was trying to do the same. And really, I don't know how they're going to bring it back. Are they going to just introduce a character we've never heard of? If they do that, we need it now. You know, we need it. And it needs to build up over the next three episodes before the finale, the two-parter. But This is what the preview said, that next week you will be introduced to Chuck's last big final villain. Okay. And they showed somebody that we have never seen before. Okay. Yeah, I am am at a slight disadvantage because I never do get to see the, the previews for making my predictions for the next week because sometimes i'll I'll make a prediction and you'll be like yeah that was in the previous <laughs> yeah but yeah no um i don't know how this guy will connect you're absolutely right i think if they go the burn notice route they have to somehow bring it back to both chuck and sarah's past and it could be an individual who maybe i don't know was somehow working with his father or the person who betrayed his father and but how does that tie in with sarah then is he also the one that betrayed sarah and had her kill shaw's mother or uh, wife i'm wondering if he was somewhat affiliated with the rig or something or cia and was the one that gave shaw the order to shoot chuck's dad and was also involved in the cia early things and doing some of the illegal yeah. things and somehow that trapped Sarah into that. 
And yeah. they wanted to flip Shaw. They wanted him to do the CIA's bidding. So they set up his wife. Yes, that could work. That's a possibility. But how are they going to find all that out in the next three episodes? That's the problem. That's, that's, that's a lot to find out. See, that's where we're hitting a brick wall. Like, Is General Beckman just going to give it to us in exposition? I, you know? I have no idea. That would be so disheartening. That would be disheartening because if they had this much information about this individual, we would have heard about it by now. I know. So I'm, I have c- perfect confidence that the writers have an out. They've not led us astray this entire season. They've done things we were like, what are you doing? But they end up working out. But in a recent article, Chris Fedak flat out said that they, for the past three seasons, have come up with a 13-episode story arc, and then they have a, oh my God, what are we going to do now? NBC has given us more episodes, list of ideas. Yeah. That's how they've done it, because... And that's not their fault. That's how NBC has treated them. So that's a problem. And here, are they doing this again? You know, are they, oh my God, what are we going to do? We thought we were going to get canceled at the end of season four. I I think that they've had the entire season planned out out from the moment they knew, okay, we're going to give you this 13. So maybe they had to scramble at the beginning to put it all together, but they had the time to work it out. Okay. So I have a feeling that it's not like every other season we have seen with this show, but it does seem like it's the same. I know, doesn't it? It just seems like it's thrown together again, and I I don't know where we're going. But maybe they're doing that intentionally so that the entire series has that same feel. You know, right, so exactly. you you get that consistency between seasons where it's like, wait, what? <laughs> and then you're like, okay, it all worked out in the end, you know. And I think that might be where it's going, that's, either un, unintentionally or intentionally. That's how season three worked. Yeah, it worked that way. Uh, again, as I said last week, lightning doesn't strike twice, right. which is what happened with season four. It didn't work out for him that time. Right. So maybe, I guess, the third time is the charm? <laughs> it worked the first time, didn't work the second time. Oh, it's got to work the third time. It's all over. It's the end. It's got to work, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, this was a great episode because it had me excited and smiling the entire episode. So, it was like fun. I said, yeah. it, it was fun. It was, it was good. I don't know what they were doing, but at this point, I kind of just have to hope and pray that they know what they're doing and yeah. have confidence that they do. So I just think what we need to do is just stop worrying and just have fun with it. And whatever happens, happens. Yeah, they're not going to ruin it. They have a plan. They have an idea. It'll work out. We're just... Overanalyzing it, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's a lighthearted comedy show. Let's yes. leave it at that. We're just going to have fun and go on. Again, that Bird Notice story arc I talked about, that was a total of five episodes. Right. And they do share writers and some other things. So that could still get pulled off in the four episodes that they have. 
Right. So with that, we're going to move on to talking about an episode that also left me on the fence this week. I think I wanted to call this Friday night of television On the Fence Friday because both episodes of Supernatural and Chuck both kind of left me going, yeah, it was okay. So anyway, (laughs) we're going to talk about this Supernatural episode called Adventures in Babysitting. While Dean goes after Dick Roman, Sam tries to help a girl whose father, a hunter, disappeared while investigating a truck stop. Starting with the second episode of this season, the people behind Supernatural have stringed together a series of excellent episodes that have brought this show back on track from having a sixth season slump. With that being said, this episode did not necessarily fit that category because it didn't really make any big strides in pushing forward this season's overarching story. But I'm willing to let that go, since the intensity of seeing Bobby get shot in the head and die in the previous two episodes made everyone, including the characters, writers, and us as the audience, in desperate need of a breather to get their bearings straight, after it appears that we've lost a beloved character. And getting their bearings straight for the Winchester brothers began with Sam questioning if they should tell people who knew Bobby that he's dead, and Dean being more interested in hunting down Dick Roman for revenge. Although before they could get into a full-blown argument about wanting to go in different directions, Sam answers Bobby's cell phone to receive a call from the daughter of a hunter who has gone missing. At this point, I figured that we were going to get a Sam-centered episode, which was going to push him one step farther down this redemption path he has been taking, with him kind of being in this awkward position of having to establish a relationship with a kid, instead of Dean, who normally gets the job. However, oddly enough, this episode switches gears to become a Dean-centered episode, where Dean going after Dick Roman put him on the path of establishing a love-hate friendship with Frank Devro, who gives Dean the advice that taking revenge on Dick Roman while destroying himself in the process, might not be the best idea, and plants the seed in his head that maybe he can walk away from his life as a hunter. Now, some of you may be against this character of Frank, who appeared in the episode where Sam and Dean went against the Leviathan doppelgangers of themselves, because Frank comes across as a replacement for Bobby. But I happen to like the actor who plays him from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And... I liked the character, so I enjoyed learning more about Frank's backstory in this episode. Also, in regards to his background, was the story that he told about coming home to find his family dead, implying that he was a hunter who quit the life because of such a traumatic event? I'm not sure on this, but Nico, when it goes to your side of the discussion, maybe you can shed some light on this. By the way, for those of you concerned about Frank being a replacement for Bobby, I don't think Bobby is out of the picture. Because in the opening scene of this episode, where the Winchesters are shown staying at Bobby's cabin, Sam finds the beer bottle he was drinking mysteriously empty, making me believe that Bobby made a deal with his Reaper to become a ghost, until he helps Sam and Dean defeat Dick Roman. Moving forward, as I just said, I really enjoyed the 50% of this episode 
where Frank pointed Dean in the direction of finding a purpose towards avenging Bobby's death. But the other half of the episode, where Dean actually finds that purpose by coming to the aid of a hunter's daughter to save her father and Sam who got himself captured, was not so great. Don't get me wrong, I liked all the character development with Dean as he encouraged the daughter to go to college, and how he gave to the conclusion of accepting his life as a hunter. Honestly, the writer of this episode was right on the money with all that stuff. But what kind of killed his hard work was the performance of the actor that played the hunter's daughter. Again, I'm going to go somewhat easier on her, since most of the time, actors around her age are inexperienced. But the daughter going on and on about how she's such a great hunter and can laugh in the face of danger got really annoying to the point that Michael and I, who were watching the episode, started saying, will she just shut up already? Thankfully, this Chrissy character, otherwise known as the hunter's daughter, is probably a one-hit wonder for this show. And the noir gangster theme for next week's episode seems like a lot of fun. Meaning that in regards to the supernatural, I'm just going to have to move past my issues with a smile. So with that, Nico, what were your thoughts on this episode of Supernatural? I, too, have mixed feelings about this episode. It was necessary and I thought well done with regards to showing the boys needing to recover from the loss of Bobby and that each of them needed to do it in their own way. And thus, I thought them splitting up to go on their own was a smart choice for this week's episode. Sam needed to help someone else, which you are correct in stating is showing that he is on the path to redemption that you love to talk about. And Dean was so consumed with anger and revenge that he forgot that he usually drops everything to help a kid in need. But after getting right in his head with that 36-hour nap, he realizes that he should be with Sam, helping to find this girl's hunter's dad. And helping the kid like he always does. He got there in the end, which is what we expected out of him, but it just took a little longer. Exactly. Here's where the mixed feelings come in. I like virtually everything about this episode, but at the same time, it did not wow me, like many of the other episodes this season have. Am I expecting too much from them every week? Maybe. This episode was solid. Good story about how they were dealing with the loss of Bobby, the brothers reacting in different ways but still working together in the end, and Sam and Dean saving another hunter and his girl, and maybe convincing them to get out of the life. What is not to like about this episode? But yet, I was just not wowed. I can't even put my finger on it. On what it was, I should have been amped after not seeing Supernatural for weeks, but in the end, I was left wanting more. Am I expecting too much? Probably. Now, I like your theory about Bobby. I agree yeah. that it probably was Bobby that drank the beer. And somehow he made that deal to be a ghost. But what does that mean for him? New or reintroduced guy? The I forget his name. Frank. Um, Frank. Frank, yeah. thank you. Frank, who gave them their old IDs and now seems to be their researcher. Yeah. Do I think he's going to take over for Bobby? No. Bobby had a long-lasting relationship from the time they were kids. He was, in a sense, their second dad. Is this guy all of a sudden going to replace that? Absolutely not. Is he going to be a resource that they continually use? Maybe. Is he going to be 
in the next couple episodes, absolutely. He's started the surveillance on that site that Dick Roman's doing in Wisconsin. So, yeah, he's going to be around for a while, but he is not going to be a, the new Bobby, no. and nor should he be. So, yes, he's going to replace him in the sense that he's going to be the researcher for them because they've already used him in that sense, and that's why he's now living in a mobile home and not in his normal place. Right. But as for this episode, I guess sometimes you just have to be happy they didn't screw anything up. This was a good episode. I just wasn't impressed for some stupid reason. It's probably more on me than on them. So well, this I got to live with that. This is one of their newer, less experienced writers that wrote this episode. Okay. And he has gotten better every time. I, I will give him that. But I think that played a factor in it. Also, during the winter months, the CW, their episodes that they put out are kind of weak. You know, this is that tie where Smallville and Supernatural have their... Well, Smallville's, I mean, it's not hot anymore, but used to be around this time. That was the one where they had their weird episodes. Okay. Or their episodes that were kind of off base. So, like, I kind of expected this a little bit. Because normally they have a really strong run-up to the mid-season finale, and then they get slow, and then they pick up again. So I think this was just a victim of that. I think next week's episode is going to be awesome because it is a film noir gangster episode. Right. And normally those themed episodes are very successful for Supernatural. So I think that'll be fine. And I, and I do think we needed to breather. And that was their attention with this episode. So I don't think they were trying for anything to wow you because of that reason. Cause it, it just, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was so intense they had to pull back a bit. So that's it. And you're not wrong feeling that way i think it was intentional but at the same time it's kind of a bummer so it is it's just right. this weird you're gonna talk yourself into a circle about it. i think that's exactly. the best way to explain this episode and thanks for adding on to that about the frank and bobby replacement thing i kind of addressed it you probably hit it a little more on the head because i think that's going to be out there i think people are going to be, oh, great, this Frank is replacing Bobby. And I think it's our job to really make it clear, no, that's not the case. That's not what's going on. I think Frank will play an important factor in what needs to be done to take down the Leviathans. And that's his purpose. Yeah. But in terms of a mentor, not so much. But there needed to be a character that told Deed, you're maybe not going the right way about this. So that was good from that aspect. But again, that's really all I have to say. Frank was great. I hope they bring him back. Again, is it the guy plays Mr. Gibbs in Pirates of the Caribbean. So he is a well-known actor. So yeah. we're going to get some great stuff out of him. So hopefully that'll go well. And hopefully that Supernatural can keep the momentum going without Bobby necessarily in the picture right now. So are you ready for the closing now, Nico? I am. Okay, well, let's move into the closing now. Nico, you want to tell everybody what we got going on? On next week's episode, the winter-spring 2012 TV season kicks off into high gear with us reviewing almost all of our favorite shows, including Castle Bones, Person of Interest, Fringe, Supernatural, and the third-to-last episode before the two-part series finale of Chuck. We also have for you our favorite comedic moments from Modern Family and The Big Bang Theory. 
Then the following week, we might be adding another show to our slate of reviews. And right now, it's up for discussion between Once Upon a Time and Alcatraz, pending on the success of that show's series premiere on Monday, January 16th on Fox. Yeah, and basically, if any of you guys out there listening to the show would like to hear about either Once Upon a Time or Alcatraz, please send us a message requesting us to talk about one of them. Because, again, we're debating what we should do. Again, if you guys have some insight on what you would like to hear or let us know, we would really appreciate some feedback on that debate. And also, great news, Community, their second half of the season, is going to be shown. News did come out that that's going to happen. So when it comes back, we will be resuming, giving you our favorite comedic moments from Community. Because they are going to air the rest of their season, which is great news. And with that, also, I'd say check out our Smallville Retro Reviews, hosted by our very own Michael J. Petty and Wu Kim, and they cover past episodes of Smallville, among other things, including occasional episodes of Supernatural and things like Power Rangers. Uh, It's just a really fun show. They have a good time. It's good stuff, so check all that out. Also, with Chuck coming to a close... We are planning on doing a special episode dedicated to the Chuck finale. Right now, we'd like to do a live show, which we'd love to have all of you listeners be a part of by accessing our YouTube channel on January 7th, following the back-to-back airings of Chuck Season 5's episodes 12 and 13. Again, that's the finale, those two episodes. So we're talking about trying to do a live show then, but that might not happen that day. Because we are in talks with Mark Christopher Lawrence, as well as other actors on the show, with us possibly maybe trying to get an interview with at least one of them. Again, we don't know if that's going to happen. If that doesn't happen, we're going to try to get another guest host to join us. We're in talks with that. So depending on guest hosts, we'll depend on what day we're doing this. We might also just do an uncut show where Michael and Nico and I I'll just talk, and we're going to throw in recordings of the people we interviewed. Again, it's still up on the air what's going to happen. We are doing something, so just stay tuned to ATA. And keep checking our website for information on what exactly we're going to do. Uh, Michael and Nico and I kind of need to talk about that, and also it depends on these interviews that we're having. Also, if you'd like, you can contact us in a variety of ways, and basically how you can do that is by visiting our website at www.acrosstheairways.com. And there you can access our email, which is acrosstheairways at gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like, you can access our Facebook page by clicking the Like button. And by clicking that button, you can get access to all of Nico's movie and TV news that he finds out during the week that talks about here on ATA. Also, you can access our Twitter, which is Across Airwaves. There's no the in there. It's just Across Airwaves. And also there you can access movie and TV news that Michael finds out, as well as information about our upcoming Chuck live show event. So keep an eye out on Twitter for everything we're going to do there. Also, if you'd like, and you can do this to give your suggestion on which show you'd like us to cover either Once Upon a Time or Alcatraz, 
by leaving us a voicemail. Then also with this voicemail, you could tell us your thoughts on any of the shows that we cover as well. So, Nico, what's that number? It is 773-809-3363. And also, if you'd like, you can access our YouTube channel. And there features video podcast reviews of the shows that we cover done by Nico. And he does it behind a blue screen and all kinds of cool stuff. So check that out. It's really neat. It's a lot of fun. Also, Michael provides all sorts of previews and promos that he made personally for ATA as well as ATA events. So check those videos out. They're really neat and cool. And also on our YouTube channel, we have all sorts of previews and promos for upcoming episodes of our favorite TV shows, especially Chuck, because we know that's coming to an end, and we've been discussing a lot of the previews for that show. And also we have previews for all the big upcoming summer movies, including The Dark Knight Rises and The Avengers. So check out those trailers. And also, if you don't want to go back through listening to this podcast, to find out all the ways you can contact us, you can download our Android app to access everything to cross the airways through your cellular phone, including our podcast episodes. So with that, once again, for our Smallville Retro Review hosts, Michael J. Petty and Woo Kim, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Revstick. And until next week, we'll catch you on the airwaves. Have a great week, everybody, and here's to a great Series 7 of Doctor Who. Now return to our regularly scheduled program.